All right. I'm sorry. All right, so we are looking at the biblical value of trusting in the Lord. And um, kind of went through all of that, talked all that. And of course, our, our key verse for that value is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. And I'm, I'm closing up this uh, bi biblical value of trusting in the Lord with um, 12 uh, results uh, that we could expect from trusting in the Lord. Okay? And there's probably more, but um, I have a list of 12. The first one is guidance and direction, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So we talked a little bit about that. I think last time we were together, we talked about uh, one of the results of trusting in the Lord is a greater potential for happiness in life. Uh, that is indeed the, the best way to go in life. Um, um, I talked to a young lady earlier. Yeah, sometimes we're going to have bad days. Sometimes we're going to have sad days. Sometimes we're just, we're just simply not happy all the time, right? But... Uh, when we trust in God, if we have the Lord Jesus Christ in our life, the potential of happiness is, is, is just there. What is that old song, joy, 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 down in my heart? And I'll, let me tell you something, you know, one of these days we're going to be, what's that song we like to sing? We're going to be dancing on the streets of gold. So there is that joy, there is that happiness uh, knowing Jesus. The third thing, and this is what we're going to look at today, is the greater potential for prosperity. Okay, so don't get nervous. I'm not going to be a prosperity gospel preacher. But if you trust in the Lord, there is a greater potential for prosperity than not trusting in the Lord. I mean, not trusting in the Lord. Uh, Joshua 1.8, uh, the Lord had exhorted Joshua with these words. He said, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate there, therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Father in heaven, we come to you now, Lord, and I um, ask for your blessing, for your anointing on this lesson. Uh, Father, there are, it's, um, this is a big, broad, wide topic. There's many, many different ways to look at this topic, to discuss this topic. Your word has a lot to say on this topic. But help us, Father, to just remain focused on um, the benefits of uh, just knowing you and trusting you and acknowledging you in our lives in regards to this matter. And Father, we know that it goes beyond... Uh, mere, uh, mere material uh, prosperity, but Father, the, the real value is eternal value, weight of glory. And so, Father in heaven, help us, Lord, as we look at these principles, uh, to be able to consider them and, and, and even take them to heart, Father, uh, that we might uh, have our minds renewed uh, uh, through the blessing of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, this word success found here in Joshua 1.8 is the only time you're going to see the word success in your Bible. Uh, success has uh, been defined as the accomplishment of an aim or purpose, uh, the favorable or desired outcome of an effort or work or plan or scheme. Uh, in the matter of Joshua, when the Lord had encouraged Joshua these, with these words, uh, of course, uh, it was the conquering of the land that was given to his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he was, he was for the most part, successful in doing that. But for the majority of the inhabitants of the earth, when you think of prosperity, when you think of success, uh, generally it's measured by material gain or political gain or social gain, you know, something, something that is kind of fixed to this planet, fixed to this life under the sun. Um, but, and that's not necessarily wrong. That, that is not necessarily wrong. There's, that's not necessarily evil. 
uh, to be successful in one's business or to be successful in you know in anything that we put our minds to in this life but what we as believers need to be careful is that we don't become like the world and we view success purely limited uh, to our existence under the sun in this life. Does that make sense? Yeah. We've got to be very, very careful because it's very easy for us uh, to put those blinders on and just view success in that, in that light only. Uh, success as far as, as um, this life only. But yet, we can have success in this life, and that success can be transferred to eternal good as well. Okay, so that's what we have to keep in mind. That's what we have to keep in mind. The majority, both lost and saved, the majority live primarily uh, with the here and now in our minds. We're sensual creatures, you know. We are creatures that key off of our five senses. And so uh, it's very, very natural for us to, to have that attitude that the only thing that matters uh, to us is the here and now. And a lot of folks are kind of like that fellow that the Lord spoke about in the parable in Luke 12, 18. The fellow who said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, a lot of us have that mentality. And again, I'm going to say that is not necessarily bad. That's not necessarily bad, as we're going to see here pretty soon. But it is cause problems if that is if that is all you're concerned with the here and now because later on uh, later on in the verse it says but God said unto him thou fool this night thy soul shall be shall be required of thee then who shall those things be which thou hast provided so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God so you see that mentality that attitude that fixation that success only exists here on the planet we got to be careful that we don't fall into that trap uh, like a lost friend once said to me he said Jeff we all need money to get along in this world and the more money one has the more money one has the better they get along I mean that was the way he lived his life that's the way he believed that was his philosophy in life but is that true is that really true see I know a lot of folks who have a lot of money but they're absolutely miserable absolutely miserable so that's not necessarily true and I agree with him we we do need money to get along I mean that's the way this this world operates that's the world that's the way this world runs I mean we we read that all the way back through the Bible that's just that's just the way it is on the world there's that exchange that goes on uh, but money material position uh, possessions the world's accolades those things that the world marks for success should that be our life's goal no as believers in Jesus Christ of course that should not be our life's goal you know one of these days whatever what is that old proverb you can't take it with you right you can't you can't take it with you Job 121 and he said naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither the Lord give and the Lord had taken away blessed be the name of the Lord I remember um, there was a fella in Belton that passed away and they buried him with his motorcycle what good is that motorcycle going to do that guy yeah but that's the mentality and also there was a I, we had another friend who who always said everything is junk <laughs> it's all going to burn away and he's right second Peter 3 12 looking for and hasting onto the coming of the day wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat now that's just the reality of things all right that's just the reality of things 
So don't put yourself in a guilt trip. Oh my goodness, you know, I've got this big house, I've got this car, I've got this. Don't worry about that. It's all about the attitude of heart towards those things. I mean, I know folks who live in big, beautiful homes, but they have also a big, beautiful heart. Right? So don't, don't, don't get yourself all worked up in that. For those of us who choose to follow the path of light, trusting in the Lord and acknowledge Him in all of our ways, we do have a promise from God that we will prosper. Not necessarily materially, but we do have a promise that we will prosper. We will prosper. Turn to Proverbs 28.25. Proverbs 28.25. God will bless us while we are getting along in this current world. Proverbs 28.25. Uh, when somebody gets there, please read it. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Alright, so, he that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made what? Fat. Fat. Okay. You know, it's the pride of life that causes us so much heartburn. The chasing after the riches that prove elusive and fleeting. Uh, keeping up with the Joneses, present company not meant. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, going after that new gadget, right? Every time a new phone comes out, there's people that line the blocks to get that phone, right? Every new toy. What happens is folks begin spending beyond their means because they're not content with what they have. They're not content with what, that's that pride of life. But for those who trust in the Lord, the promise is, is that they will be made fat. That they will be made fat. Now, don't let that word fat throw you. Because today when we think of fat, we think of obese, overweight, so forth and so on. But in the Bible, the word fat in this sense is used in two ways. The first way is it talks about um, prosperity. It talks about health. It talks about success. Okay? It, it, it's a good thing. You, you want to be fat, <laughs> if you will in regards to trusting in the Lord, okay? You want, you want that kind of fatness. As an example, in Genesis chapter 41, you remember when Pharaoh had the dream with the, the two types of kinds? The one kind was fat and well-fed, the other kind was skin and bones, you know, and very lean. Well, the one represented what? Days of prosperity, days of plenty. The other one, days of famine, right? So, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good use of the word. It just simply means that those who trust in the Lord, the, there's greater potential for them to be prosperous. Okay, prosperous. Prosperous. There's also a, a negative use of, of this word, too. Uh, Psalms 17, 9-10 says, he's, he's praying for deliverance, he says, From the wicked that oppress me, from my dead, deadly enemies who compass me about, he says, they are enclosed in their own fat, with their mouth they speak proudly. Again, notice the connection between pride and being enclosed in their own fat. Right? This fattiness is of their own doing. This is, this, this, these are these folks who are the self-made, pull myself up by my own bootstraps. You know, I'm the one that did it. You know, I'm the one that's responsible for my success. I'm the one this and I, it, you know, it's that arrogance. It's that, it's that pride of life. It's that pride of life. Without any recognition of God's involvement, it's that pride of life. That pride of life. Psalms 119, 69-70. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. He says, their heart is as fat as grease. 
but I delight in the Lord, uh, delight in the law. Now, put that picture in your mind. A fat, greasy heart. That's kind of gross, isn't it? I mean, that is. That's kind of gross. But what that is, is a serious, life-threatening heart condition, isn't it? If we're talking about a physical heart, that's not good. That's not good. But spiritually, uh, fat as grease speaks of the, of the gross condition uh, of, of a person that has a heart like this. Uh, they're insensitive to God's word. They have no inclination, no mind for. They have no heart for God's word because that's what that's what David said. He says, "But I delight in thy law." Those whose hearts are as fat as grease are those who do not delight in the things of God. They just don't delight in them. It doesn't do anything for them. They have no concern about God's word. They have no concern about what God's word has to say about the important issues of life. So it's good to have a fat heart toward the Lord. Okay? We don't want to have the greasy, gross heart. <laughs> that's not what we want. And that's what we're going to talk about as far as uh, trusting in the Lord and the greater potential prosperity. It's that, it's that good heart. It's that good heart. Now, I want to say this. I'm not going to teach a class on finances. Okay, I'm not totally qualified for that. There's men that are much better at that as far as managing your money or this or that. What I want to address, what I want to show you is the um, the fat heart attitude <laughs> toward those things. The good heart attitude towards those things. Because that's the key. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. So that's what I want to talk about. Okay? Uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's start off with this. Let's start off with this. And then we'll get into Proverbs. What Proverbs has to say about, about this, this uh, topic. But I think it's good to start off with a, with a, with a word of exhortation or a word of warning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. This is a very familiar passage. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. Isn't that our topic? Trusting in the Lord with all of our heart and leaning not on our own understanding. Not to trust, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to what? Enjoy. We are allowed to enjoy what God has given us. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, that's being rich toward God, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So that's a good investment. Alright, that's a good investment. Now notice what Paul said, told Timothy. He told him to charge them that are rich in the world. And the word charge them means to give them a commandment that they are to follow. That'd be like a, a, an officer charging a non-commissioned soldier do such and such. That's a commandment. That's, an, that's something to be obeyed. It's something to be obeyed. Because one of the pitfalls of wealth is what he, Paul refers to as a high-minded attitude. A high-minded attitude. Thinking that the rules do not apply to them simply because they're wealthy. Now, we don't see that today, do we? Sure we do. For some reason, those who are wealthy think that they uh, that those rules don't apply to them. It applies to everybody else, but it doesn't apply to me. Their wealth, their prosperity, 
um, somehow makes them exempt from what is moral and just and right. That's pride of life. That's what 1 John 2.16 talks about. That's that pride of life. And Paul cared enough for these rich folks to warn these rich believers of the dangerous ground that they could be walking on. Like he said here, these blessings from God, if God has blessed you with much wealth, yeah, you can enjoy that wealth, but God's given you that wealth for a reason. How are you investing that wealth? How are you investing that wealth? Are you laying yourself a good foundation for eternity? Or are you more concerned with the here and now? So that's something that needs to be kept in mind. James uh, 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Um, Ecclesiastes 2.24 There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. So again, there's nothing evil, nothing wrong if you happen to have the means to enjoy those means. Attitude of heart though. Attitude of heart. There's a risk. There's a risk there that the wealthy would be wise to consider. First uh, Timothy six eight. If we're still there in First Timothy, Paul writes, "Having food and raiment, let us therewith, therewith let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich." shall fall in temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money. How many times have you heard for money is a root of evil? Isn't it interesting how they leave out the word love of money? Well, that's the way the world works. They like to take the truth and put their own spin on it. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Hard attitude, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There's a risk with, pro with material prosperity. And you would be wise to be aware of that risk. Now, most of us probably don't have to worry too much about that, you know. But um, just in case something happens, just be forewarned. Uh, those who, who love money over everything else have what the writer of Proverbs refers to as the horse leech syndrome. That's, that's, I, I came up with that. So, Proverbs 30.15 The horse leech hath two daughters crying, give, give. You notice with the wealthy, enough is never enough. Who, who, was the, who was the wealthy man that was asked, how much, how much is enough money? And he says, there's never, uh, paraphrase, there is never enough money. And this is one of the wealthiest men on the planet. So the horse leech syndrome. These two daughters crying, give, give. Some folks have identified these two daughters with cruelty and covetousness. Cruelty and covetousness. The hurtful lusts, cruelty, and the love for money, covetousness. Uh, that often characterizes an overbearing, wealthy individual that extracts from the poor in order to enrich themselves. Now that doesn't happen, does it? James wrote about this uh, overbearing, oppressive attitude of the rich when he wrote uh, to the church and rebuked them for their favoritism. He wrote in James 2.5, he says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. 
He says, do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? Was that only true in James' day? Or is that true today? It's true today. It's true today. It makes my... I'm not going to get on a soapbox. But it makes my skin crawl to read what some of these wealthy, wealthy movers and shakers have in mind as far as how to run this planet. It just makes my skin crawl. It's cruel. It's oppressive. It's covetousness. So yeah, there is a very, very clear connection between prosperity and one's spiritual well-being. And it would be good for us to watch our attitude. I don't care if you've got $20 in the bank or $20 million in the bank. The key is the heart attitude. The key is the heart attitude. And so that's what I want to talk about. Let's talk about the issues of the heart. The issues of the heart. So when it comes to, to wealth... First principle, first principle, you guys know this, this is not something that you do not know, so I'm, I'm not expecting a, a huge hallelujah. In fact, I'm going to ask, what do you think the very first principle is in regards to wealth as concern? Okay, that's a good one. We'll get to that. In, in, okay, in your relationship with God, let's, let's put it that way. Let me frame that question a little better. In your relationship to God, what, is, what do you think would be the number one principle? Okay. Honor God with your wealth. Number one. Remember, acknowledge Him in all thy ways. Honor God with your wealth. That, that fits hand in glove in all, acknowledging the Lord in all, in all your ways. First and foremost, we should honor the Lord worth our wealth because it is God, it is the Lord that has given us the power to earn that wealth in the first place. It is the Lord who uh, enables us to acquire that wealth, to have these possessions. So it would just behoove us out of appreciation and out of humility and out of recognition to simply honor the Lord with what we have. With what we have. Um, that's what King David did. Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. That's what David did. David wanted to build a what? A temple for the Lord. You know, he saw the, he saw the, the tabernacle the, in the tent. He says, you know, here, here the Lord's, the ark of the Lord is sitting in a tent and I'm in this big old house. He says, there's something wrong here. This is all backwards. That's, that's Jeff's paraphrase. I want to build the Lord a temple. Well, the Lord said, David... I'm not going to allow you to build a temple because you're a bloody man. Okay? You've done things in your life. I'm not going to... I appreciate it, but I'm not going to honor you with that. But I will let your son do it. So that's where Solomon comes in. So in 1 Chronicles 29.11, this is, this is David's words... This is at the close of his life. He's getting ready to turn everything over to Solomon. He says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I? 
And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee a house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand, and all and, and, and is all thine own. So what David is simply doing is he's honoring the Lord by giving back to God what is God's in the first place and has entrusted to David. Essentially, that's our attitude. That's what our attitude of heart should be. Everything that we have comes from the Lord. And so we honor the Lord with what we have because he's given it to us. That's what Proverbs 3, 9 says. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So, and then here's the promise. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. We give honor to God when we prioritize our giving, our substance to him. It's, it's his in the first place. And that's a recognition of the heart that many forget. That many forget. We give honor to God when we uh, prioritize our giving by giving to the Lord. And then God will in turn bless you. Isn't that weird? But that's God. You're giving back to God what belongs to God and he's going to turn around and bless you with, by giving it right back to you. But that's God. That's the, our, our gracious God. We're simply acknowledging the Lord. Acknowledging the Lord. We acknowledge that we have what we have because of him. Deuteronomy 8.17 and now say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. What God is warning, or what, yeah, what Moses is warning the people of Israel as they get ready to go into the promised land is, say, Hey guys, don't adopt the attitude of heart, saying, I'm the one that did all this. Remember. I did this for you. You're here because of me. You have what you have because of me. Don't fall into that trap thinking, I'm the one that did this without acknowledging God. You're going to head for some trouble. You're going to head for some trouble. I was asked to give a blessing at a dinner some time ago. And uh, so I gave thanks to the Lord for his provision. I gave thanks to the Lord for enabling us to celebrate together in the end because it was some sort of celebration dinner. And, you know, I just thank God for this and I thank God for that. And then when I was done, I said, Amen. Well, the host of the dinner became offended. He got upset with me. And the reason why he got upset with me is because I didn't acknowledge him in my prayer because he was the one who had paid for the dinner and everything else and so he felt as though that he should have been included in all of that Thanksgiving and of course I, I thanked him for his generosity but also reminded him the whole reason why you can do this in the first place is because God permitted it God enabled you to become successful Right? And so I'm thanking, so I told the guy, I said, I'm thanking the right person. I thank you for your generosity, but I'm thanking the right person because it's God that enabled us to celebrate this way in the first place. Well, of course, he didn't, we didn't see eye to eye on that. That's not to be, that's not to be a surprise. Ecclesiastes 5.18 says, Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and enjoy the good of all his labor, that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him. For it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. 
I think sometimes we forget that. We forget that. Uh, I'm going to put, put you on the spot. Do you guys give thanks before you eat? Do you? Keep it up. <laughs> That's a good thing. You'd be surprised how many of God's people fail to do that. Fail to do that. No, you honor God when you give thanks for your food. You honor God. It's not just something we do, but you are honoring God when you give thanks. So when we prioritize our giving, we give to him first. You know, first and foremost, what we're simply doing is we're honoring him. That is a way of respecting God. It's the Lord that's given us the power to acquire wealth. It's the Lord that gives us the power to enjoy it. It's the Lord uh, that um, allows us to have this substance. And that's something we just simply need to recognize. That's something we just simply need to acknowledge. The word substance in that verse that I read, honor the Lord with thy substance. Do you think that word substance only refers to the cash in hand? No, it refers to substance. <laughs> substance is stuff, isn't it? Substance is stuff. Substance is what we possess. Cars, homes, whatever. Cars, homes, whatever, whatever it is, our substance. The air in our lungs. Yeah, even the air in our lungs. Yeah, so we, we can honor the Lord with our substance. You know, whenever we have um, um, vision conference, there's folks in our church who open up their homes to house the folks that come down from Maple City. You know what they're doing? They're honoring the Lord with their substance. We've got folks that will give cars to visiting missionaries like during Bible conference or vision conference. What are they doing? They're honoring the Lord with their substance. Right? We've got folks that um, bring food. Again, that, see, it, it, don't get yourself stuck in that mentality of the cash in hand. When you present yourself a living sacrifice, that's the substance, right? You're honoring the Lord. You're honoring the Lord. This next week, many of us are going to offer ourselves as living sacrifices in BBS. I make light of that. I make light of that. But <laughs> so Matthew six twenty four says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There's a lot of truth right there. A lot of truth right there. You know, we see, here we see the pitfall of refusing to honor God with your substance. We end up serving mammon instead of God. Um, this old world is given over to the spirit of mammon. It's all about the mammon. You know, mammon is the name of an old Syrian god. Old Chaldean god. I bet a lot of people didn't know that. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old fake deity. Similar to the Greek god of wealth called Plutus in, the, in Greek mythology. He was the god of abundance and wealth. Um, what, is that, what is the name of that book, uh, Ron? Oh, the Two Babylons, The Two Towers. It's the Two Babylons. Yeah, yeah, The Two Babylons. That's a meaty read. Okay, but what this guy does is he shows the connection of all of these false gods can be traced back. So you got all these false gods from the Syrians, the Chaldeans, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the they're all the same god, fake gods, just with different names. 
Okay, that's that's the point I want to make. So anyway, this this mammon also fits in Greek myth mythology, like like this fellow Plutus. Uh, this god, um, you know what a cornucopia is? Guess where that came from? This god. This God. In, um, in uh, that the cornucopia that you often see around Thanksgiving time in our country, right? That comes from this God because in Greek art and European uh, Renaissance art that um, really promoted a lot of this uh, classical philosophy and mythology during that period of time, whenever this particular God would be painted, he would be painted with this big basket full of fruit and stuff. That's where that comes from. You know, again, can you see the world trying to twist that day of Thanksgiving that the nation should be giving thanks to the Lord, but there the world is inserting this, its own little twist on it to get your eyes away from the Lord and into what? That little basket full of fruit. Mammon. Mammon. It's when we get this backwards. When we start focusing on the mammon instead of God. When we are more focused on that basket full of fruit rather than the one from which that basket comes from. You see where I'm going with this? But we all, we're all prone to do that. We're all prone to do that. I am going to get on a soapbox. Just for a little bit. It was just a matter of time. It was. It was just a matter of time. <laughs> that is the perversion of the prosperity gospel that is so popular in Christianity today. They are preaching mammon and renaming it Jesus Christ. That's exactly what they're doing, folks. That's exactly what they're doing. I'm going to quote just one guy. You might have known that you might know who this guy is. His name is Reverend Ike. Okay? His church is I love it. The United Church the United Church Science of Living Institute. That's the name of his church. Uh, where is Jesus? And then well, anyway, never mind. So at his United Church Science, science falsely so-called, okay, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked here. At his United Church Science of Living Institute in New York, Reverend Ike would tell his congregation, close your eyes and see green. Money up to your armpits. A room full of money, and there you are, just tossing around in it like a swimming pool. I don't know, guys. Are we supposed to be seeing green? Or are we supposed to be seeing Jesus Christ? Ah. <laughs> uh. I acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. It may not make you a multimillionaire like these jokers promise. And it's a false promise. You know the only ones that really benefit are them. Are them. In fact, what's that guy's name? Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland preaches you trust in God and he'll make you a millionaire. Really? No. No. But you are rich. You are rich beyond your wildest dreams. Philippians 4.19 But my God shall supply all our need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. One of these days, folks, we're going to be walking on streets of gold. 
we're going to be going through gates that are nothing but huge pearls. The foundation of the city that we're going to be living in is going to be gems, precious stones. But that's just material stuff. The real riches, eternal life, sinless eternal life, being with the Lord, being with all those saints, not having to deal with the devil anymore, not having to deal with the world anymore, not having to deal with the flesh anymore. Those are true riches. Those are true riches. Principle number two. I might have time. I doubt it. Principle number two. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Principle number two is this. Remember that wisdom, knowledge, and understanding from the Bible is of more value than money. Proverbs 3.13, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her and happy is every one that retaineth her. You know, being the central creatures that we are by nature, we often place more value on that stuff that we see, touch, smell, taste, and hear. That's just, that's just the way we are. But those other issues of life, those things that we can't handle, such as love, and peace, and pleasantness, and health, and happiness, we kind of hold those things of less value at times. Even believing, some of us even believing that we have a right to those things. That we have a right to be happy. I, I mean, we see that on television all the time. Or we hear it from commercials. You have a right. That's your right. Your right is to be happy. You deserve it. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, you deserve it. Well, without Christ, the only thing I deserve is... Well, anyway. You see, a lot of folks don't realize that one's character and one's attitude of heart has more impact on those matters than having enough money or possessions or whatever. It's your character, it's your heart attitude that plays a big part in your happiness. In your happiness. I read um, a while back the fellow said um, pain is inevitable. We're all going to experience pain. Misery is an option. We choose to be miserable. The pain, there's not much we can do about. But many of us choose to be miserable. Uh, second Kent, uh, second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, four sixteen. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Are eternal. It's those intangible things that we can't see, taste, feel, touch, smell. Those are the things that are valuable. Those are the eternal things that are valuable. 
And we as earthly creatures, we struggle with these heavenly eternal realities such as wisdom and knowledge of the holy. And it's these so-called intangibles that are the true tangibles in existence. Was that kind of confusing? But they are. Those are the things that are really of value. It's just like that fellow who built bigger barns. Right? Well, what happened to that guy? And the, and the tangible thing about him, he didn't care enough about. That soul. Where did that soul end up? Oh, he had big barns. But where is his soul? Where is his soul? This is something that the lost man cannot relate to. This is that famous um, pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. They want nothing to do with it. To them it just, it, it, it maketh no sense. It just, it just doesn't. They see no profit in that. And sadly, I know, I know of God's people who think that very same way. They have that very same mentality as the lost. They, they covet after the tangible things of this world and they ignore the eternal riches that are theirs to have. Many of God's people like Esau have sold their birthrights for this world's watery stew. That stuff satisfies the physical, but it leaves the soul famished. The pursuit of God's wisdom brings enduring wealth. It brings enduring wealth. You know, when we stand before the Lord, and we are going to one day stand before the Lord, it's not going to be the church buildings we've built. It's not going to be the, the, the many different ministries that we served in with a stinky heart. <laughs> okay? Uh, none of that stuff is going to be there. None of that stuff is going to be there. It's the, it's the souls that we've had an impact on. It's the souls that we have an impact on for Christ. To either bring them to Christ or to um, be a part of their life to help them to become like Christ, like in discipleship and just simply ministering to them. It's those precious stones that Zechariah 9.16 talks about. It's the people we touch for Christ's sake. That's the real treasure. That's the real treasure. You know, often money is referred to as principle. And principle, as defined in the finance world, is the original sum of money borrowed in a loan or put into an investment. Proverbs 4 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all thy getting, get understanding. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. We have been entrusted with a principle of great value. The knowledge of how a soul can be reconciled to God. That is the wisdom of God that we have been entrusted with. 1 Timothy 1.11, Paul says, According to the glorious gospel of, uh, of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. We've all been committed. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have all been committed with this principle. What kind of return are you going to be able to give to the Lord 
and his investment that he made on the cross. His investment in you. Proverbs 8.18, riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. Durable riches. Not the stuff that burns away. Not only will these riches stand the test of time, but there's also riches, this wisdom and this knowledge of the holy is also the kind of riches that you can pass on as like with an inheritance. You know, a lot of, a lot of men and women, they'll pass on their material inheritance to their, to their children. They don't know what's going to happen. I think the, the fellow in Ecclesiastes talks about, you know, a rich man passing off his inheritance and he doesn't know if he's passing it off to a, a wise man or a fool. But the inheritance, the, the wisdom that we can pass on, Proverbs 13.22, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. You know, I had mentioned four notable landmarks that we're going to look at as we go through Proverbs in our topical study. Authority, character, personal values, and relationships. Under the topic of personal values, we're going to talk about legacy. And what is a legacy? A legacy is how we impact the generation that follows us. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, The just man walketh in his integrity, his children are blessed after him. What kind of inheritance are you passing on? What kind of legacy are you passing on? What kind of spiritual property are you passing on to your children so that they can pass it on to their children? You know, that's kind of sobering to think that I can impact, if the Lord tarries, generations that follow me. That's very sobering. Very sobering. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? So the pursuit of wisdom. Trusting in the Lord. Acknowledge Him in all thy ways. Pursue, pursuing those values that go beyond the mere substance and the mere material. That's where the greater potential for prosperity lies. What are you investing in? What are you investing in? Okay, I'm going to stop right there. I got a few more points I want to talk about on this on this topic, but I'm going to stop right there. Any comments or questions before I close out in prayer? You know the yes, ma'am. That's in our Constitution, yeah. Well, if you, if you think back in the history, okay, those 12... Well, in fact, if you think back in history, um, they were ruled by an oppressive monarch. And uh, if you know anything about... They're good monarchies, but unfortunately, in a system like that, that can be very oppressive and abusive and that's that's usually been the history so at the time th they were under an oppressive monarchy they had no no rights no liberties it was very oppressive and so that's that was where that came from Unfortunately, it's <laughs> and that's that is that is the problem because mankind has got has got this ability to take a very noble ideal and pervert it to serve his sinful flesh. And that's exactly what we're seeing in our country today. 
And what they like to say is, well, this country was never founded on biblical principles and blah, blah. Yes, it was. They just want to change the narrative to justify their sin. And that's, that's my short answer to that. Some say that would be opinionated. But that's my short answer to that. Okay. All right. We're all stewards. We all have been made stewards. Whether it's material possessions or spiritual possessions. And we're all going to be held accountable for our stewardship. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord. Um, Sometimes there are hard sayings in your Bible. But they're good sayings. They're sayings that we need to take a heart. They're sayings that we need to consider in our own life. These are sayings that force us to think about ourselves because it is that process of, of the renewing of the mind. I just pray and hope, Lord God, that I didn't say anything that would um, take away from your word or add to your word. And uh, if by accident I did, I pray that your spirit will help uh, filter all of that out. But to help us, O oh Lord God, to see your plain, simple truth and to pursue it, Father, for it is of more value than all the money in the world. We thank you and praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ, um, who has made us heirs, joint heirs with him. We are indeed a blessed people, and we thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.